everybody. Welcome to the green room. I'm live from Black Hat, so I'm actually in a camped out in a secret bunker location so I don't get hacked. <laughs> but welcome, everybody. And uh, we're excited to have you here today. I'm here with my amazing co-host, Bala Afshar, our amazing producer, Elle, and of course, our two great guests. So let's start and do reverse introductions. Rajesh, please tell us where you're calling in from, what we're talking about today, and more importantly, um, what we might find out in the future. So. Yeah, thank you for having me. My name is Rajesh Vashisht. Uh, I am the CEO of SciTime. SciTime is a public company on NASDAQ. I'm here in Santa Clara. I've uh, been in the Silicon Valley for the last 40 years. So I sort of date myself. I see the age of all the people here, rather younger folk. Uh, but uh, been around the block a lot, been in semiconductors most of my life here in the Valley. Um, and as I was saying to you guys earlier, uh, when you do chips, particularly our kinds of chips, you are the silicon in Silicon Valley. So think of us as Silicon, Silicon Valley. That's where we come from. Excellent. Very, very cool. And I may look young, but I've been in the Valley about 30 some years. <laughs> so anyways, we'll go to Richie. Where are, you, where are you coming in from? What are we talking about today? Good afternoon. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm calling in from New Jersey. I am the new in New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> Um, it's good to be on the show. I think the last time I was in the show was over five years ago. So I've got a lot of catch up uh, to do. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, I am a co-founder and chief technology and creative officer at Mobius. So we'll talk a little bit about that today, but I'm looking forward to the show. Amazing. Yes. One of our BT150 winners. And of course, uh, very, very happy to have you on the show. Okay. With that, I'm turning it back to Elle. Ready for the count? And we're going to go live. All right. Three, two, Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show, on X, uh, Disrupt TV Show. <laughs> Send us your questions uh, to Ray, myself, and our guests. We'll do, ourself, uh, we'll do our best to answer them live. Use hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO, founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I see Ray on television, on Bloomberg, on Fox Business News, on CNBC every day. In my opinion, he's probably the top futurist to follow on Twitter or X at RWNG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my amazing co-host, Bala Afshar. He's the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence, but more importantly, his new book, 
boundless. A new, a, a new mindset for unlimited business success is going to be available this September and can be pre-ordered today on Amazon. But more importantly, executives around the world are paying attention to every one of his inspirational, insightful, I'm going to say tweets and not posts. More importantly, when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can catch him on business TV in terms of Bloomberg and, of course, posting insightful analyses on ZDNet as well on his LinkedIn page. But it's not about us. It's always been about our amazing guests. And, of course, we have an amazing guest we have not seen for a while on Disrupt TV. We've interviewed over a thousand guests and I think he was interview number five or six. So he's been building big time companies. So we're so happy that he's back taking time off from his busy schedule. Richie Atwara, co-founder, chairman and chief creative officer at Mobius. Headquartered in New Jersey, Mobius is a human connections company seeking to reduce people's friction with technology around them. The company's solution enables a novel form of expression so that communication is clearer, comprehension is sharper, and human connections are more profound. Mobius uh, has developed software-only spatial computing using machine learning. We're going to learn about that. Technologists, I've known Richie over a decade. Uh, Richie has been privileged to partake in a range of transformative initiatives, exploring fields such as immersive AI, digital privacy rights, financial services, and technology infrastructure modernization. Uh, Richie, Richie's collaboration contributions span organizations like Mobius, Humanity.co, IPVIA, UBS, Barclays, Wells Fargo. When I met Richie, he was running digital transformation at Fortune 100 companies. Uh, Richie's work has centered around integration of emerging technologies like AI, mobile, cloud computing. He is a three-time author uh, in 2019, way before the pandemic, uh, Richie wrote a novel about future of work with machine bosses and colleagues and the importance of data privacy and impact of AI in business. This guy was writing about this topic in a best-selling book six years ago or four years ago. He's a three-time TEDx speaker. You're going to find out his, how eloquent he is in the next 30 minutes. Keynote speaker, global audiences, and an adjunct professor at Syracuse University. Welcome back, Richie. To disrupt TV. That's it. Time's up. <laughs> okay, good. We'll get our next guest. That's I amazing. had to cut your bio to about a tenth <laughs> because we only have thirty minutes. So welcome uh, back. Well, you know what? You should, we we do have to catch up. We have to figure out what you've been doing since, right? I mean, yeah. that was an amazing book. But tell us more about this journey. Where have you been, and what's going on? So. So Ray and Vala, uh, thanks for having me back at the show um, for the Constellation and Salesforce and CC community. It's good to be uh, invited back here again. Um, it was over five years ago since I've last been on, been on the show. So I was, I was probably around 40 at the time. Let me catch you up. Um, I've taken my career and put it into the gym for the last five years. What I mean by that is putting it into entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is like a gym for your career. So I started in 97 in Wall Street and, uh, you know, I started a nice waist size of about 32. Right. And by 2017, my, my career waist size was about a 36. So I figured, you know what, I got to put my career into the gym. For the last five years, um, I built two companies, Humanity.co, which uh, took on privacy and Mobius, which is in spatial computing. Um, both of these were really large, kind of crazy problems, I think, uh, to take on. You'll learn a little bit about spatial computing and why it was crazy today. So the larger the problem, the bigger the gym, the more machines they are, the more intense the workout. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Five years in the career gym. 
it's uh, it's amazing because when I met you, you were a chief executive, big companies, big budget, big headcount, traveling the globe, speaking at the largest conferences as a digital transformation trailblazer. And then you decided, I'm going to go build companies. I don't want to just own a line of business. And I mean, talking Barclays, I mean, it's a line of business with mega budgets, mega headcounts, and just in an innovation lab that would uh, be uh, enamored by anyone. But you made a deliberate decision to walk away as a big-time exec, big-time company to go build companies. What was the inflection point? I mean, you talk about going to the gym, but you tackled big, you know, hairy, complex problems too. When we talk about data ownership, data privacy, we were talking about the 31st human right. And now in this spatial computing gesture controlled world that you've built the last three years, these were like leading edge, very little prior art or precedence. So you were walking in a, in a forest with no one around you, <laughs> uh, really trailblazing. Why? <laughs> Was well, it, was it a book? Was it a mentor? Was it a spouse? No, do a startup, they said. That's what it was. Um, so, so look, I think the, the career trajectory was you start with doing sort of company-wide problems, right? So you, you're, you're entering your career, you take on a company-wide problem. Then you start to, you know, you start to take on industry-wide problems and, you know, in healthcare, that's kind of that's kind of what I was doing in healthcare and financial services was more sort of sector wide problems or company wide problems. And, you know, did a roll up in healthcare, acquired about seven companies and replatform. I think that's the time I met you. We were just doing a deal with Salesforce and seeing the entrepreneurs that we had acquired and the founders mm -hmm. that we had acquired and looking at the skill set of what these founders had, what they learned from entrepreneurship. Was it was a different end of the corporate virtue that I was learning on the inside. Mm. So I wanted to go into entrepreneurship. And the one insight that I got uh, and, and given to me by a couple of people was if you if you want to work your career out, don't take on small problems. Take on the biggest, most challenging problems that you could find, because that's where the real fun is. And by the way, that's where the economic outcome ma makes yeah. sense, right? Because the risk is so high, the probability of success is so low. So <clears throat> Privacy was a species-wide problem, right? How, how do we set a North Star to solve for privacy? I think we got the branding right on privacy with the 31st human right. We used natural language processing to inoculate the I accept button. If you guys will remember, what we were doing was processing B2C contracts in real time and extracting the negotiable rights in there and replacing the I accept button with sort of a different contract for consumers. These things put you in a place where you, you literally build real resiliency on the other end of the spectrum mm. than what you were building in the corporate, in the corporate world. With Mobius specifically, and I'll give you an example with Mobius, Mobius is, is the most recent company. So Mobius, Mobius is built on a theory that what we, what we use to communicate with each other constantly increases by aperture over time. So going back to the early days, we grunted at each other, right? Then there was telegrams and then there was mail and, you know, then, then there was text. <clears throat> and then you, everybody has experienced this. You're texting someone, but the aperture is not wide enough. So you got to go, let me call you because you want a wider aperture, right? Around COVID, um, it, let me call you, move to, hey, let's jump on a Zoom call. 
right? That was the next widening of the aperture, followed by, hey, let's do a screen share, which is a little bit of a wider of the aperture. So as I was looking for things to do um, at, the, at the beginning of COVID, COVID rolling off of Humana Co., I figured, what's the next widening of the aperture? And what was there was the VR headset. So I tried the VR headset on, and of course it widened the aperture. But what it was, it was sort of an unfamiliar future. Because every movie that I've ever seen, every story that I've ever read is kind of like, you know, Tom Cruise and, and, you know, Iron Man. And here I am with a toaster in my head, right? Kind of thinking, well, is this that we really want? And so, and then I, I stuck it on my kid and my kid got addicted to it right away. And I couldn't get him off the iPad, much less the headset. So Mobius was born to take on the challenge to say, look, could we find a wider aperture of communication that doesn't occlude our entire reality, doesn't take away so much from us. The screens don't have to be that close to our eyes. We don't have to lose that much agency, et cetera. I'm happy to talk about where we are and the impact that we think it brings, but from a why do startups perspective, if you're gonna do a startup, you're doing it for two reasons. One is you wanna use technology for good. And I tried to do that both times. And two is just prepare be prepared to work out your career. There are muscles that you're going to work out in entrepreneurship that you didn't even know exist in the enterprise world. So, so I want people to better have a better understanding of the complexity and the innovative space that you pursued. So when we see demos from Meta or Microsoft HoloLens or Magic Leap, essentially, like you mentioned, a toaster, a large iPad, there's hardware that's involved and it's close to our senses. Specifically, it's in our head. You decided that you were going to tackle the dimensions of what we're normally accustomed to, an XY dimension and a horizontal and vertical dimension, and you were going to extract as the Z scale or the Z axis, the space in front or behind your laptop, your computer, whatever computing device you're using. So you tackled this immersive augmented reality, mixed reality challenge but you decided you're not going to use hardware. When you pitch that to your founder, co-founders, and other team members, what, 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 was, what, what was the industrial reaction? We're going to provide an augmented reality experience. Everyone in the world, the biggest companies in the world, are using hardware. Mobius is going to pump the hardware and just do it with software and AI. That's a, so, pretty, that's a big, bold pitch. It is. And so I'll give you the end of the movie, but then I'll come back to the front. So we have Minority Report meets the metaverse on the devices that we own today. So no, no computers, hardware. any computer, no hardware. My Mac that I'm on right now on another show, I'll just screen share and show you what it looks like. We have videos of it. We're in beta. It uses machine learning. It uses computer vision in real time. It calculates your viewing intention, your interactive intention, and you can grab things, move things, throw, swipe, look around, swim, uh, uh, fly like a Segway in a virtual environment, touch things, move a switch, anything that you like. The front of the air becomes completely interactive. It's like a volumetric uh, membrane of interactivity outside of here, and the back of the screen becomes completely immersive. But your question is really pungent, which is, how do you sell that? How do you, how do you get co-founders, um, team members, capital, et cetera? Because um, you're challenging dominant logic. Dominant logic today is that in order to have an immersive experience, you need hardware. Yeah. It's 15 yep. years ago, dominant logic was you're not going to get into a stranger's car to go from A to B, or you're not going to rent your private home space to a stranger. That turned out to be two of the most uh, profitable... <laughs> 
biggest startups in the world. So, so, so the economic doing now. The economic model, first of all, with with any type of business case, the economic model has to the outcome has to match the risk, right? So so the theory here was that if if I was right and if we could pull this off, it, this would be a horizontal capability. It's the next aperture of widening. Of, of the capability. So it didn't matter what amount of capital you were going to put in, as long as you could find the risk capital mm. that wanted to take the potential of a 10,000, 20,000 X multiplication, that, the, the math is easy, right? If you go after something that's big enough, that's meaningful enough, you could find risk capital. But what is really unique and the nuance, and, and you know, you kind of got to work out in the gym two or three times in different startups before you learn how to sell it. The sale was we were going to build version 0.01 of teleportation. That was the sale. What if we could build version 0.01 of teleportation? What could that look like? How would it go? And we're here today. We had three years of research and development. We've had very patient investors to wait through that process. I'll tell you a little bit about you know, how did we miss dates, right? How far were we off from the dates and the forecasts that we had? But we're preparing to go to market now and, and we're sort of in that place where we're starting to figure out what does this mean to the human species? What does this mean to business? What does it mean to culture? It's a long runway. We've probably got another decade or two before this gets mass adoption. But the key uh, sort of threshold that we've arrived at here is you no longer have to add hardware to the devices that we have today in order to have clearer communication, have sharper comprehension, have improved retention, mm -hmm. and even potentially, we think that we'll see the evidence uh, after some of the pilots that we're executing to see that it could actually reshape conversion. So we're at that point now where we're ready to start to kind of do what we call a go to culture. And I'm happy to talk about that, but that's where the company is today. You know, actually, it's a really important piece, right? You're, you're talking about a species-wide problem, and, and this is really changing the way we interact, the way we communicate, the way we engage. Um, and, and more importantly, I mean, for you, I mean, wh what is this thing about species-wide problems that you're going after, right? Because these aren't easy. These are, these are, like, these are long hauls. These are things you're going to tackle. It's more than just exercising yourself here. I mean, going to a workout. I mean, this is a punishing, grueling workout. Like you're doing like 10 <laughs> Ironmans here. So, so let me, let me share what it's like. And, and I'll give you a couple of examples as to what do you learn and what muscles do you grow? Um, first of all, I would recommend that everybody go to the gym. Everyone should go to career gym. Now you don't have to do what I did, which is to kind of rip the bandaid off and, you know, jump in head on for five years. Doing a digital transformation in, in, a, in a large to mid-sized company is kind of going to the gym a little bit. It's like a Peloton at home, but you're still exercising. It's a little bit easy, yep. Right. Um, the resiliency that you build uh, is because you're on, you're on a different end of the maturity spectrum of technology. So when you're on the enterprise, you're doing things like, you know, um, UBS and Credit Suisse has merged and you have to do a mainframe migration. Okay, uh, when you're when you're in when you're in the the startup world, especially if you take on a large species wide problem, you're dealing with things like, you know, could we uh, identify a spirochete um, from the glucose saturation of it from lasers so that we can figure out who has Lyme disease and who doesn't have Lyme disease? 
right? Or you're doing what we were doing. Could we figure out machine learning models to calculate your viewing intention to do signal processing on two frame buffers at the same time in the GPU without setting off the fan? So there are two ends of the spectrum and things are very different on the spectrum. Let's think about a corporate virtue like forecasting, okay? If you're on the left side of that spectrum and you're doing a mainframe migration, you're probably 95% right with your forecast. You're gonna hit that date, you're gonna hit that budget, you know, you're gonna be able to get that done. If you're on the other side of that spectrum, you're lucky if you're 5% right on the date, on the forecast. And that's why you see people that take on new frontier big problems like Musk, for example, you know, he's two years late on the Cybertruck. No surprise, because it's, it's a frontier technology, it's a frontier activity. And to build the resilience, to be able to deal with that uncertainty, to have the intestinal fortitude, to be able to sustain and communicate and encourage and recultivate and redescribe reality to your investors and your team all along the way when you're two years late, that's the kind of muscle that you build on these corporate virtues. I could talk about leadership. There's a lot there. I could talk about vision. There's a lot there as well. And we can catch up on those through the show, but that's an example of what you learn on those two edges, so to speak. We do have a lot of startup founders, company founders that watch the show. So I do want advice from you to these folks that are about to go to the gym, maybe for the first time. But I want to understand your life because the market says this is an incredible space, frontier technology, Fortune Business Insights, in terms of global gesture recognition market, they project it's going to be $15 billion of investments this year. It's going to grow to $115 billion, from 15 to $115 billion by end of the decade, 2030. That's a KGAR of 29% for the next eight years. So you're in a space where that minority report analogy, this is a white hot space. And I've seen Mobius and the magic of being able to create this immersive experience with gestures and eyes and movements and just getting close back and forth. Again, the Z-axis that's in front of you. And I see it with no cost because there's no hardware. I see it without AR motion sickness. I get motion sickness when I'm yep. walking. I, my eye can't look up for more than 30, 45 seconds without feeling uncomfortable. So the cost, the convenience, and the fact that I get sick makes me gravitate to what you're building. Now I see on LinkedIn, KP, KPMG is using Mobius at their Tech Innovation Summit. I saw yep. University, Harvard University using Mobius at one of their recent workshop, computer science workshops. I see Accenture, a partner and beta user of Mobius. So my sense is there's a lot of excitement around you, but I also figure you probably spend most of your days with attorneys filing patents. So there's a little <laughs> bit of a grind in the gym that would be nauseating for me, but you have to protect your IP. Tell us all this, you know, I studied complexity theory in college, but I imagine your day-to-day -day life is very complex. How do you stay in the gym and not get sick? How do you get yourself motivated to leap out of bed on Sundays before Monday start, knowing you've got all these things <laughs> you need to do? Because the market says you're in a white hot space. You've got big companies testing, piloting your technology. There's going to be a pretty <laughs> immense amount of pressure on your shoulders. I do see a little bit of gray here. I hadn't seen yeah, in a while. Yeah, so, a gray hair. Yeah. Last time I was on the show, I didn't have gray hair. Right. right. So, so that, that you grow about two to three X the speed that you grow in the enterprise and you age about 10 X the speed that you age in the enterprise. Um, 
So first of all, you, you need to have a really good um, partner at home. Um, I'm married to Vasti. I've got a very supportive wife that, that you know, allows me to do this. That's, that's the first. Second is you need a really strong co-founder dynamic. Uh, Mike Sutcliffe and I, you know, we've, we've partnered on Mobius. Um, it's very helpful. Those are, to me, those are the two most important things, followed by sleep, exercise, and eating well. You know, nothing there has to do with tech, has to do with patents, anything else. If those things are not in place, you're not going to be able to withstand the marathon, right? Um, yes, I did have to learn how to write patents. We have 50 families of patents, about a dozen have been issued. Wow. After a while, the, the, the legal teams are just not fast enough, and there's too much loss in translation. So you just got to learn how to write the claims yourself. Um, but let's, let's, so let's go back to kind of like what is different. Right. Let's talk about leadership for a second. Um, if you're leading a team and I'm going to use that mainframe migration and I'm going to use, you know, software enabled spatial computing on this side. If you're leading a team through mainframe migration, you lead from the back. You set the vision, you encourage, you enable, mm -hmm. right? You, you coach, um, you, you reward, you align, and you can really lead from the back and put the team in the front. When you are trying to figure out how to create 0.01 of teleportation. You have to lead from the front. You have to be on the factory floor. You have to suspend disbelief to be able to actually get motivation out of the folks that are going there. Because you're breaking through things that have been done for the first time. Mm -hmm. So your leadership muscle, the resiliency that you need to be able to advance yeah, I, I call it Columbusing. Okay, I'm just gonna just let me go off on a tangent for a, for a second. Okay, Christopher Columbus, Pinta, Nina, Santa Maria, whatever you think about the guy, that's irrelevant. This is just the story, right? Everyone thinks the world is flat. Okay, and he's on this ship. He's got people with him. He's on the front of the ship, right, holding the front of the bow, looking forward for the rest of the world. At any moment, they could fall off the edge of the world. Any moment. OK, young sailor comes up and go, hey, Christopher, what's up, man? What's going on? Like, it's been four weeks. We're running out of food. Two of our sailors have died. Dude, what's up? Christopher has to muster the courage to come up with leadership motivation. He's got to be able to and you got to make stuff up right away. You see that fish? You see that fish that's on the ground there? That means that land is clear. Land is near, okay? Because fish doesn't, you know, like you got to come up with something. You see that cloud in the sky? That means that land is near. You have, you have to lead completely differently. The leadership technique that I used at Mobius to get through those hard breakthroughs, the visual that I used was the visual of human, human evolution. And I had this one schematic that I would take the team through almost every two weeks. It's the caveman to the kind of half walking man to the stand up human, yep, yep, right? Yep. Then back in front of the computer, right? Like hunched over. And then on the right side of the chart, I had two arrows. One arrow was someone lying on a sofa with a toaster strapped to their heads. <laughs> and the other arrow was the human stood up interacting with the world around them. That's the graphic that I use to keep the team going constantly. In the enterprise, if you are on the commoditized end of technology, your leadership skill is we're going to have to do it better and more effectively than anyone else. Right. Okay? Faster, better, cheaper. When you're on the other side of technology, we have to do something for the first time. 
And this workout that allows you to build resiliency on the two edges of that spectrum really gives you a different point of view on leadership. Hey, Richie, real quick, we're about to run out of time. And I want to ask you something. What is the next species-wide problem you're going to go after? And is it going to involve AI? Are we in AI hype hype hell? (laughs) And how do people learn more about Mobius? Where do we go? Uh, Mobius.com. We have a we have a beta program. M O B E U S. M O B E U S. We have a beta program, and and you can join there. Um, look, I'm having I'm having a great time right now with taking on software based spatial technology. I'm proud of the work that we did with with privacy. Um, if I were to spend my time on something else, um, I think it would be trust. Um, we mm-hmm. we are in peak what I would call peak distrust right now. And I would probably start, uh, the market entry there would be around AI. Um, no question AI is, and we'll talk about hype in a second, no question AI is going to be a category. Um, I think it's not whether we're going to win or AI is going to win. I think it's about how do we coexist with AI. So I would probably work with a group of individuals to kind of figure out, look, how do we, how do we get to a place where we can um, simplify the magic that is under, underneath AI so much that we can understand it enough to put a scoring system around it, right? Every model is going to need a score. Just like humans have trust scores, we have the FICO score. We're gonna need a FICO score for every AI model. And it's gonna to have to be partitioned as like, this is the PG-13 models, these are the G models, and these are the rated R models. That's probably, that's something that really, um, excites me. I think that's probably more of a, of a, um, a community game than an individual game. That's a whole different kind of gym yeah. yep. to, go, uh, to go put your career in. Um, as far as the hype, look, every new thing that we have ever uh, invented has had hype and the hype dies. The question to me is what happens after the hype? And AI is real. Just look at the scholarly publications and just look at the curve of mentions as opposed to blockchain was like a sudden two year publication spike or metaverse was a sudden spike. This is going to perform like the Internet. This is not going to be an AI model game. This is going to be a business model game. I think I think it's a moment to reflect on business models. For those of you watching, go to Richie's LinkedIn and watch his Nexus keynote on AI being a global equalizer. Richie is very prolific on LinkedIn with his keynotes and white papers and blogs and podcasts. So chai. So yeah, please check out uh, Richie's LinkedIn. It's just um, wealth of knowledge and all relevant and, and, and important. Well, here's the summary. 2030 is the new 2050. We're here with Richie at Wari, co-founder and CEO at Mobius. And you can follow him at Twitter. I'm just going to say it. Maybe it's X at Richie at Wari. So, hey, thanks for being on the show. Happy Friday. Thank My you, pleasure. Happy Friday, everyone. Thank you, sir. Uh, From the future to the current. Yeah, we're going to talk about yeah. men's. Keep going, man. <laughs> we, we have a, what a privilege for us to speak to, to a pioneer, the person who put silicon in Silicon Valley. Rajesh Rashid, CEO of Saitan. Rajesh is Saitan's chairman and chief executive officer and has served in this role since 2007. Saitan is a precision timing company. Saitan's programmable solutions offer a rich feature set that enable customers to differentiate their products with higher performance, smaller size, lower power, and better reliability. Saitan is the number one oscillator supplier in the world. I'm going to talk about the significance of that. We are talking over 3 billion SI Time devices with over 300 applications. Prior to joining SI Time, uh, uh, Rajesh was CEO and chairman of, and board of directors of Akinos Communications, 
or just led the organization from a two-person per revenue startup to a public company with 90% market share and a market value of $600 million. Wow. Prior to Akinos, Mr. Ashish served as general manager of a $450 million business at, at Aptech, a storage company. Welcome, Rajesh, to the Shraf TV. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks so much for having me. And by the way, I listening to Richie, I understand completely why you have him on the show. I mean, the eloquence of that guy in talking about everything, I was hanging on to his every word. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, you're the cleanup hitter in baseball. This is when you come in and hit a grand slam. So <laughs> well, he set it up well for me because he talked about entrepreneurship. And yes. out of the six companies I've been working for since 1984, I worked for six uh, out of the six. I have four have been startups. And since 99, I've been a CEO of startups. So from 99 to 23, whatever that is, 24 years, I know exactly the muscles. I know exactly the entrepreneurship issues that he's been talking about. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, Iganos Communications was my first company. I started with two people, Behruz Rezwani and I. We started the company. It was a leader. It's a 95% market share leader. We triumphed over companies like Broadcom and Texas Instruments and Infineon and ST Microelectronics. But what I discovered was, again, pointing to Richie, I'm going to be pointing to him a lot in this conversation. He talked about solving big problems. And I might add, big markets come with big problems. In other words, as, he's, as you know, the higher the risk, the greater the success. So for me, we solved great problems in that company in $600 million IP value creation in 2006 was a big deal, but the, it, it, we weren't big enough. And everything that I've learned is you watch somebody say retail is done and somebody comes in and redefines retail, a giant trillion dollar giant is born. Somebody says coffee has been done for 500 years. Along comes a company, Starbucks revolutionizes everybody stands three days three times a day to buy five dollar coffees now burnt beans so, burnt beans <laughs> yeah whatever the quality of the coffee that's a different different issue the point is you've got to find a big a big playground come in with a highly differentiated technology highly differentiated solution and then change the game so i along with the help of others identified uh, this company, it was funded by NEA and Greylock. My previous company was funded by Greylock and Sequoia Capital. So one uh, message for some entrepreneurs who may be watching is do go after venture capital, but go after the best venture capital. Because guys like Sequoia, guys like Greylock, guys like NEA, these are weight, worth their weight in gold. Don't worry about dilution. Worry about value creation. That's more important than dilution. In any case, I came to this company. Sorry, you were saying? No, no, those are some of the best names here in the Valley. And, and I think I wanted to take a step back and, and really ask the, the one question is, you know, what, what does the company do and, and why is this so important to get precision timing, right? Like, what does it mean That's for right. industries like space and defense and, you know, critical and, and, reje and, 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 reje and Rajesh, as you speak to us about what the company does, also a little bit of a reflection on the fact that I believe when you started in 2007, there were about five, six companies you were competing with and you won. So what was the formula of competing with a half a dozen companies in your space and coming out clearly the winner? Yeah, that's right. And that was not an easy battle. I mean, we're talking no, like this is, no. is hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
<laughs> so Ray, to go back to what is the value of precise timing, we have to go back to about 300 years and the fact that sailing ships were going off and losing people, cargo, money, because they couldn't plot longitude. This has been written beautifully about a, in a book that came out about 30 years ago called Longitude by Deva Sobel. And Parliament, UK Parliament, put out a prize of 20,000 pounds on creating a chronometer which was precise, which was producible, which was small, lower power, and functioned in all environmental conditions. That was 1723, and a guy called Harrison, who was a carpenter, got it right and got the 20,000 pounds. But SITAM is essentially doing the same thing here in 2023. So 300 years later, steroids. that's right. Except the chronograph, which was this chronometer, which was this big, is now a chip which is 0.5 by 0.5 millimeter at the smallest, all the way up to 5 millimeter by 7 millimeter. Wow. So precision timing is important because we know, want, need to know where to go, how to go, when to go, at what level to go. So if you need timing in a mouse that you move around, it's not very important because the timing isn't that important. But if you're SpaceX and you're going to send 26,000 satellites into space and then spend another, send another 20, 30,000, then it becomes really, really critical to have very precise timing. Sharp cannons need it. Watches that are, you know, like a smartwatch, they need it. Um, I dare say a, a, a cigarette, an e-cigarette, needs to know how to burn tobacco precisely. They need it. We have 30,000 use cases for this. But to go back to what you were asking, Vala, is about when I got started in this company, it was a 30% company. It already had a product, and it was, as you said, competing with five other startups, but three large companies a company called IDT, which is called now Renaissance, a company called Silicon Labs, and a company called Maxim, which is now part of Analog Devices. These are great and storied names. The short answer of how we won is by focus. We won by focus. We won by paying attention to leadership. We won by paying attention to culture. We, pay, we won by saying we will not be denied. We will win this. So by 2013, again, like my previous company, we were 95% market share again because solving the problem of uh, material science, solving the problem of circuits, sol solving the problem of putting them together, making it small, making it low, low power, and as you've pointed out, shipping 3 billion units to date. That's amazing. That's amazing. By the way, 3 billion units is a very small number in this market. <laughs> in any year, about 40 billion units get shipped. So we still, we've got a long, long, long way to go. So my understanding is th this is an $8 billion market that's been growing about a 5% rate for the last 50 years. It's projected in 10 years, this $8 billion market's going to be a $20 billion market. These numbers may be outdated, but it's based my, on my understanding. Can you tell us, when you're talking about hyperscalers, 5G, edge computing, you mentioned SpaceX, but Tesla and autonomous vehicles, it seems like anything that can connect will connect and precision timing is going to be even more important in this decentralized, hyper-connected world of ours. Are, are these projections of $20 billion market, is that accurate? Is that in line with That's your very understanding? Accurate. That's very accurate. You're very much on point. When I started in this business, the market was about 4 or $5 billion. As you said, it's been growing 5% compounded. 
But the real story is the stuff that needs precision timing, which we define as hard to do timing in tough environmental conditions, that is AI, that is ADAS, that's electrification, that's internet of things, that's personal computing, that's networking, that's telecommunications, that's growing anywhere from 30% to 60% Kager, right? So that's the one, that's the, the, the line that we are riding and that's the part that we are going for. But if you have to, you also have to step back a little bit and say, so all this, what was here before? Because if you are such a percentage, if you're 3 billion units shipped out of 30, 40 billion units a year, what else is doing the job? Well, the, the story is about quartz crystal, crystal quartz. We have talked about it. We talk about watches that have yeah. quartz. Yeah. That's been the dominant technology since 1947. And the big difference, the biggest difference, whatever else we want to know is we're semiconductor based and they're not. So it's an old story of semiconductors goes up against some non-semiconductors. And we know how the end goes. The end goes semiconductors always wins because there's never been a technology that's so good at quality, so good at reliability, performance, production, cost, et cetera. We saw this happen in bulbs, LEDs to old bulbs. We saw this happen in disk drives and flash drives. This is an old story. So Saitam is going after a non-semiconductor market, bringing a semiconductor solution. We went public in 2019 under the, type, the ticker symbol SITM. We went public at $13 a share. I haven't looked today what the stock is, but I think it's around $130. So less than four years. Ten we extra. should have had you on our show years ago. Ray and I would have been so much wealthier. <laughs> well, what I always tell my I'm investors. I'm investing in Saitam. That's awesome. What I tell my investors is the market has just started. On a scale of 1 to 10, we are at 1.5 wow. in going after this. Because as you said, the market grows to 20 billion and our market, the market that we're interested in, our served market, if you were, we, we think in a decade, it's going to be anywhere from 7 billion to 10 billion. And our revenue, who knows what it is. You know, I'm not making any forward looking statements as a public company CEO, but I believe that SciTime will continue to grow at the 30% growth rate that we promised the world. We promised them a 30% growth rate starting in 24 with a 65% gross margin and a 30% net profit margin. Hey, Vala, those are all public comments uh, that, are, that are available, but here's the thing. They were at $300 at the peak of the tech boom in 2021. That's, that's all you need to know. It is crazy. So, but but let's that's talk amazing. about how precision timing impacts our lives. Like, what does it mean? Like for jet ink printers, like why do they need these, right? Like, talk about like what why you need these in missile defense systems. Like maybe like why what you need these in just consumer electronics. Like, like what what is that that you're orchestrating or that companies are trying to orchestrate as they go from analog to digital? Right. So let's take a look at a consumer product, like say a Garmin smartwatch, like an adventuring watch or a runner's watch. Sure. So basically by our chip sitting in that case, it's a 32 kilohertz to be a little bit techie, 32 kilohertz chip sitting next to say a power management chip because their chip can power down reliably because it depends upon our chip to wake it up reliably. So it's sort of like having a super reliable alarm clock you have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, but you can't trust your alarm clock. So you wake up at one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock oh. and lose a bunch of cycles, miserable life, right? It's but life. in this case, you, you rely upon it to wake you up at five exactly. So we wake it up, it connects, it does what it has to and then goes back to sleep, saving power. That's a great example of that. 
in an AI chip, like a like an inference uh, performance, the the signals need very low latency. The signals yep. need a high level or low level of jitter, a jitter in the signal that they get in the clock, and they need very high level of stability, which is measured in parts per billion or parts per million of stability. So if you want a certain frequency, you want it super, super, super stable. Uh, so that's what we provide in that. And in the case of, um, uh, let's see, what else? In the case of ADAS, a, uh, an automated driving vehicle, again, you need super low latency because you know if there isn't latency, you're going to have a crash. So <laughs> it becomes really important. So we have around 300 such applications, everything from from smart fuses for rockets and munitions, all the way um, to, uh, as in my example, uh, electronic cigarettes. Uh, not all electronic cigarettes, only some, uh, but you know it's all over the map. So uh, you know. So when I think about the eight eight billion to to twenty billion forecast in the next decade, I think about this year, just this year alone. Uh, you know, uh, Nvidia joins the trillion dollar club. Uh, you know, it, it, incredible uh, success in terms of AI turbocharging their forecast and their growth rates. The Chips Act. Obviously, uh, as I mentioned, generative AI, this appetite that we all have in business for real-time contextual understanding of our surroundings. And the key word here, real-time. We want to be able to deliver value at the speed of need. So whether it's a consumer application or a business-to-business -business application, everyone in sales, service, marketing, commerce, all lines of business, we're trying to leverage technologies like uh, you know, large language models, machine learning, Internet of Things, combinatorial uh, impact of all these technologies so we can so we can differentiate ourselves based on speed. So what are your thoughts in terms of the semiconductor industry, given the world waking up to the power of AI seems like, you know, November of last year with ChatGPT. But all of the sciences, all of the machine learning, natural language processing, deep learning, computer visioning, about 13, 14 different classes under this AI umbrella. And every CXO that I speak to wants to know, how do I improve productivity using AI? How do I improve uh, you know, ability to serve my customer and earn their business? It just seems to be speed, personalization, and real-time engagement is top of mind for everyone. And for me, it seems like that's a kind of a turbocharge element for your business. But that's I'm interested right. in your thoughts. That's right. So the COVID biggest tragedy that it was with millions of lives lost for the semiconductor industry was the biggest boost ever. Yeah. And the reason was because people discovered that they couldn't get washing machines. They couldn't get refrigerators. They couldn't get cars. And people who had no idea what semiconductors or chips were <laughs> said, called up the congressman and said, I was told by the by the car guy that I can't buy a car because of something called a chip shortage. <laughs> so that I believe is yeah. what spurred the Chips Act. Yeah. It wasn't the food, the drive for AI. So you know, from you we always have to make sure that the semiconductors has been, you know, if you think of world economy, it's a hundred trillion dollars of GDP. If you put the whole economy together. Yeah. And semiconductors is only 700 billion or 
billion dollars or trillion dollars, excuse me. I think beauty products are about 1.5 trillion, by the way. Two X. <laughs> right. yeah, look, look at the priority here, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so for me, the point is that it's easily that I remember a time when semiconductors did not get any respect. When if you went to a VC with a new chip, they're like, oh man, that's too difficult. It takes 10 years, $100 million. I can go invest in 10 internet startups yeah. for that much amount of money. Yeah. So, you know, and I can get greater security. But the good part about semiconductors. Cosmetic companies. <laughs> that's right. We're talking about poor capital allocation here, you know. <laughs> exactly. But semiconductor companies are hard to do. Semiconductors are tough to do, but easy to understand. So we can go to a customer. We can go to a networking customer. We can go to an automotive customer and show them our spec versus the quartz industry spec. And our spec is way higher. And that's it, we win. Our marketing and sales, unlike a software company, are relatively low. And that is the beauty of semiconductors, why they become money-making machines. When Because one chip costs the same amount to make as 100 chips. And you don't have to do anything more, just keep on printing them out. But semiconductors is, in fact, a way for software for AI, for processing to get to, and the need for speed, as you said, the need for low latency, the need for higher throughput, the need for a, a, a surgeon in the United States here in San Francisco yeah. wanting to operate on someone in, say, India yeah. with instantaneous operation, yeah. that is what is driving it, right? The, the centimeter accuracy while you're driving a car yeah. and knowing exactly what's happening in a factory. All of those are driving semiconductors. So I'm, of course, very bullish on semiconductors, and I'm thrilled that I've been leading a company for 16, 17 years where we've been transforming the industry. We're the only company on the face of the planet that's focused on timing. Nobody else does timing exclusively. That's all we do. We do timing. So that's why our name is Psi Time, Silicon yeah. Time. Just in case you needed, <laughs> that's amazing. What a, what a great what a great reminder to the startup founders and young entrepreneurs who are aspiring to achieve your success. Focus, find an area that's important and be the best at it, and good things can happen. Uh, any other advice? I ask Richie the same because I often get uh, folks reaching out to me on LinkedIn, thanking us for the guests we have on the show, and a lot of them are founders and aspiring CXOs. Any advice? Uh, it's clearly our, what's common with both you and Richie is two individuals that are really focused on solving hard problems and being best at what they do. Uh, and he mentioned going to the gym as an analogy. Any routines, any habits that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, listen a lot. Listen much more than you talk. Uh, I don't always practice it, <laughs> but I do believe that's important. But I think Richie said it, which is look for the biggest problems to solve. Look for the toughest problems to solve, because even if you're going to be unsuccessful, and hopefully you're not, the amount of learning that's going to come, that's transforming to you. Because at the end of being an entrepreneur, the biggest reward isn't in changing the world, which it is. It isn't in financial reward, which there is. It is in looking at the mirror and saying, I, did this. I am capable of this. I can transform this. It's personal impact. And what we tell people here who join SciTime is you're coming to SciTime 
to have an impact. If you want to just coast, this is not the company for you, but come here to have an impact on the world in whatever way you want to. Come and become the best version of yourself. And I heard this from the Zoom CEO in a talk, and I'm like, wait, that's my line. But it seems it's his line too. <laughs> well, I saw a video of your university recognizing your legacy and work. And the video had all these incredible uh, uh, accomplished leaders talking about your humility, your uh, ability to listen and encourage with empathy and inspire others. And I can see it in the last... 20 minutes you've been with us. So really appreciate, really appreciate your share. Right. Yeah, no, no. I was saying like, this is, this is one of the things that that we keep hearing from, you know, great leaders and great founders, right? We try to have the top CEOs on the show and uh, you know, the leadership lessons that you pass on to the next generation is, is more valuable than anything else. That's, that's the personal impact here on the show. And uh, you know, you know, it's also looking at trends. It's also seeing what's actually happening in categories, you know, and, and thinking big, right. The semiconductor market itself, right, is is being transformed as we speak as well. Um, you've got Chips Act, you've got industrial policy that hasn't been put into place before. Uh, what does it mean, right? I mean, these, you know, AI is going to clearly have an impact on semiconductors, but what does it mean post AI, post into quantum, right? I mean, you're probably forecasting what that future may look like. You know, like what what is timing? What does timing look like in quantum? Was it did it happen or didn't it happen? I mean, these are going to be fun <laughs> questions. So. Well. Uh- Quantum-based timing is not that far away. Quantum-based timing is not that far away. It basically, I've seen some accuracy in timings just to geek you out a little bit, is that you would lose one second in 64 billion years, given that the life of the universe is 13 billion. (laughs) That's That's incredible. Where do, you, where do you recruit engineers? Is there a particular geography institution? Wherever we can. Wherever you can. <laughs> we have an office in we have an office in Santa Clara. We have an office in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We have an office in Lviv, Ukraine. Okay. We've had an office there, and you know the boundless uh, uh, creativity and 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 boldness of those people who are keeping on working in Lviv while it's being bombed is amazing. Wow. Uh, We have an office in Helsinki. We have an office in Netherlands. We have an office in Tokyo, Japan, in in Taiwan, in Ipoh, in uh, Malaysia. So we go wherever the talent is. Is it harder harder to recruit? Is it it harder to recruit? You know, back to what Ray was saying, what does it mean with the CHIPS Act and the focusing chips? One thing that's happening is that more and more young Americans are considering going into semiconductors, are considering doing double E's. Great. are considering going into engineering as a consequence of that. It's not quite the Sputnik moment, but it's a little bit closish to that. Um, so that's one thing. And I think recruitment is not the difficult part. Yeah. Uh, we need some uh, hyper-dedicated people to solve the world's toughest timing problems. We need them in the area of physics. We need them in the area of material science. We need them in the area of no circuit, no. in no. packaging and software. And so pulling together this global team, and we're only a sub 400 people company. And that's so wow. that's it. That is amazing so, scale. Who, who says there's no money in semiconductors? That is amazing scale. <laughs> Number 30% operating profit margins. That's what we did before the recent downturn. That's that crazy is and incredible. That is Unless incredible. you're Apple. <laughs> the number one, the, the company putting silicon in Silicon Valley sub 400. That's amazing. That's a credit to you. And, you know, I guess Richie kind of mentioned that when you're a CEO founder, 
you sometimes have to roll up your sleeve and get on the factory floor. My sense is that you're very close to the innovation, the roadmap, and all of the incredible work that's happening at the company at Titan. That's right. That's right. This is very cool. So we are here with Rajasva. She's CEO of SciTime. Thank you so much for joining us and, of course, sharing some insights that we probably never would learn from a leadership perspective and from a technology perspective. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much, Ray. Thank you so much, Vala. Great questions. Great guests. Thank, Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Every show. Every show, Vala. Every show. And, you know, uh, you see two ends of the spectrum. Our first guest into entrepreneurship journey three four five years trying to build uh you know uh an amazing company who's been at it for 16 years and now is the number one supplier of precision timing in, in silicon solutions in the world the number one uh producer of oscillators in the world uh and and a, and a company that was trading at 300 a share not long ago with less than 400 people <laughs> That's, that's, wow, that's awesome. Okay, uh, try to wrap up lessons that you learned in a minute of, 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 of this episode. <laughs> Not possible, but all I can say <laughs> is that, look, I mean, if you really want to be successful in any area, it's, it's really about having a different mindset right? Not just in how you lead, not in terms of how you define the problem, tell the story. You really have to come at it from a different way. Uh, this is uh, one of the things that a lot of AI founders are going to discover as they go through this journey. Uh, I was recently in a number of conversations in Cerebral Valley and in Shack 15 and some of the other places where you're seeing a lot of these new startups grow. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. It's not an easy thing. And even in a large company, right, that's, you know, doing a level of transformation to get to a level of scale and dominance, it's the same thing, right? So whether you're in a startup or whether you're in a large company trying to create this transformation, I would say it's harder in an established larger company yeah. because yeah. you've got existing processes you've got to fight against. Uh, but it's hard in a startup because you don't have the resources, right? You don't have the networks and, and the places in place, and you've got to play a very different game. And I think as we talk to more CEOs, as we interview folks uh, in the next 12 months on Disrupt TV, we're going to see that. We're going to see patterns in leadership that we probably should feed into an AI model anyways, and then we won't have to do anything. But I'm just kidding. But when we do that, we're going to find some amazing insights, uh, and we're going to continue to share those with our audience. I can't wait for you to feed our last 332 episodes to an LLM only to come back to me and say, I have a new co-host and it's, uh, it's an AI. Vala, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Vala, actually, you're very close to some of the secret projects we are working on. And uh, I will talk about that, but you and I will still be on the show. Rest assured. Okay, great, great, great. Yeah. Once you find out that the quality of questions from a language model is much more insightful than my questions i think um i think i'm gonna have to figure out a different uh, no 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 we'll still be on the show you'll be good we need we need we need human supervision in our training i suppose one thing i do uh, want our audience to take away is that these two guests that were on our show super charming super nice super empathetic but warrior mindset there's no way for these men to achieve what they've achieved without grit persistent discipline just mental and physical toughness. So, um, yeah, don't don't give up and, uh, and and just keep keep moving. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Next week on our show, episode three hundred and thirty three, uh, we have Raúl uh, Panella, co-founder CEO of Granica, 
and Mike Fuller, CTO and Finn's uh, Ops uh, Foundation, Mark Logan, CEO of One Identity, and William Eggers and Donald Kettle, authors of Ooh, Bridge Builders. So. Bridge Builders. So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next Friday. Bye, everyone. Yep, we'll see our guests in the green room.